The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Happy Father's Day to all your dads out there. It's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much or anything at all. And somebody said father is someone who carries his pictures where his money used to be. And this is the day where we share all our dad jokes and everybody else pretends to be smiling, right? So I'll start you off with some trivia, some Bible dad jokes. Who was the shortest person in the Bible? Huh? No, it's Nehemiah. Which Bible character had no parents? Joshua, the son of Nun. Where's the first tennis match mentioned in the Bible? When Joseph Joseph served in the Pharaoh's court? Oh, come on. I wrote these out and everything. You know where I keep all my dad jokes? In a database. But I want to say, if you're a dad, if you're a father, it's an awesome and fearful assignment that you have from the Lord, and especially in the age we live in, because you must lead your family through what I want to call is a minefield. And I'm telling you, this minefield, especially in our day, as you can see, is very dangerous. It's very dangerous, and our children live in an age where baby killing called, you know, freedom of choice, uh, sodomy called sexual preference, idolatry is called an affair, and things like that, and things that used to be down the alley are now up front street, and not only it's up front street, but if you disagree with them, you know, you're somehow you're a bigot, and you're not prideful of those things, and I don't want to be over dramatic, but I believe America needs us fathers more than ever because of what we're facing today. And you know, I always say it's not the White House, not the schoolhouse, it's the church house. Well, what happens in the church house is really what happens in your house. And I know you are all heard of the Marine Corps slogan, looking for a few good men, and, and I think what we should be looking for is for a few godly men. And you know, we need to stand in the gap, man, that will be all that God has called them to be. And I believe all these social ills that we have in our country be directly traced back to the breakdown of the family, and especially the absence of a father figure. And, you know, to be a good man is hard. To be a good husband, and we talked about that about on Mother's Day, that's kind of difficult, you know, because we have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. But to be a good man, a good husband, a good dad, that's the hardest thing to do, I think, in my opinion. But I think it's very best. So the primary duty, you know, as you see in sitcoms and so forth, the primary duty of dad is not to take out the trash, not to bring home the bacon, not to fix what's broken, though you should be doing those things. But the primary responsibility of a father is to teach his children holy living. And if you're a leader of the band, if they don't learn from you, who are they going to learn it from? Schools? Sitcoms on TV? Have you ever noticed how dad is always some goofy guy on any kind of television that's like, you know, commercials? Who are they going to learn it from? So if the Bible study, and that's what I want to talk to you about, we talked about the 
the word being the absolute authority. We talked about obedience, but sometimes, you know, in the conversations with some fathers I had this week, they don't really know how to study the word of God. You know, they ask, like, do I get commentaries? Do I get these books? How do I study? Well, you know, there's a plan for the man. And what's the God's plan for, for, for the man? And really, today's message is going to be for everyone, not just the man. You can apply these principles that we're going to discuss to all of you and how to study the Word. Now, if you buy a dishwasher, anybody buy a dishwasher or refrigerator? We get a manual with it, right? Buy a car, you get a manual. Anybody buy an iPhone? You don't even get a manual. They just tell you go on the website because the, the thing is like more pages than the Bible, all the things that's in it. But the problem with us dads, what, what is the problem? We don't usually read the instructions, right? We start putting stuff together, and then the table has three legs versus four legs, and we have all these leftover parts, and we're like, what? Because we go to that last. And as I mentioned this before, the Bible is meant to be a daily bread, not you know, we treat it as cake on special occasions. We just bust it out once in a while. And if we're honest, looking at Christianity as a whole, today most of us are playing at the Bible study, you know, and, and I agree with everything. If you were visiting a, or paid, came to the men's breakfast uh, Saturday, uh, Rick McCarriston shared some information on how he studied the Bible and how he came to God and so forth. And, you know, one of the things he mentioned with, I agree 100%, and it's still happening to this day, is, you know, people say, hey, it's Bible study, and you get there and discuss everything except the Bible. And then they can kind of patch it on at the end. So I'm like, why don't they just call it a social hour? Just be honest with people and say, hey, we're, there's nothing wrong with fellowship, but don't call it Bible study. Now, the Bible is a wonderful book, and somebody said the Bible is so deep that the scholars can swim and never touch the bottom, yet so shallow that the little child can come and get a drink without fear of drowning. We talked about the Word of God. We have complete authority over our lives. We talked about obedience last Sunday. But yet, again, we don't get real satisfaction of studying the Word of God. You know, hey, I you know, spoke to a father. He said, I want to do those things. But I don't just, I'm going to be honest with you, I just don't get anything from it. Well, the problem is you cannot let the Word of God work in your life properly if you don't receive it properly. It's not going to have any effect. And you say, you know, how can you lead your children if you yourself never been there? If you never studied the Word, how do you expect your children to study the Word? You know, sometimes people say, yeah, it's important to go to church and so forth, and yet they never bring their children to any of the church activities or anything like that. So how are you telling your children it's important, but yet you just sit on the couch? So fathers, there's a big responsibility on our shoulders and Andrew Murray said, the secret of home rule is self-rule. First being, being ourselves what we want our children to be. And again, this must be a priority for fathers, but again, this message is for everyone. And Jesus said in Mark 4.24, he said, take heed what you hear. That's important. And then in Luke, we see, he says, take heed how you hear. That's very important. And the reason he said that, because in Matthew 13, 13, he says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Why? Why is it, I come across 
A lot of people that attend Bible classes, church services on a regular basis, they've been a church member for 20 years, but they never seem to grow. Why is that? Maybe it's the fault of the teacher or the preacher, maybe. But maybe it's the fault of the hearer. Is it possible that we are dull of hearing? And Hebrews 5.11 says, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And many people mistaken that idea, they have this idea that if they go to church and hear a good sermon or something like that, that replaces their Bible study. You're kidding yourself if that's the only approach you take. Hearing a good sermon or any kind of sermons, and a lot of people say when I read the Bible, it's just words, doesn't mean anything to me, so it doesn't seem to be a blessing, so I don't read it, I just listen to sermons. So how do we get this truth to leap off the pages? So I want to talk about some ways we can receive the Word of God. And you know, a young boy named Isaiah asked me, how do I prepare messages? How do I come up with topics? Well, this is the way I approach the Word of God, Isaiah. So you can take some notes. And our main scripture today is going to be James chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 21 through 25. And James, the brother of Jesus, says this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, but goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Look at verse 21. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to sell your souls. First, if you, don't mark, if you don't mind marking in your Bible, underline the word receive. In other words, you receive the word of God. And folks, I believe the word of God is the greatest preventative against the sins of the flesh. And there was an old Scottish preacher that said, sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. And I certainly believe that that's true. And then James says, which is able to save your souls. Sometimes people ask, what about that? Because he's writing to Christians and he's telling Christians how to be saved. Well, James is speaking here to those who have been saved, those who have received the implanted word into their hearts. The word brought salvation to you. But you have to live life as a Christian in this defiled world. And salvation is in three tenses. I mentioned that before. It's being saved, that you're saved from the penalty of sin. It's your sanctification, and you shall be saved from permanently from sin when Christ Jesus returns. So there's that. We're saved from the power of sin. We're not going to hell. The devil have not ceased, though, working on us, right? We still have collision with him. And the devil is out there fishing all the time. Three hooks that he uses, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So not only do we need to be saved in past tense, we need to be saved in the presence from the power of sin. And one day when Jesus returns, 
That's the future salvation. We'd be saved from all possibility of sin. And the best way for me to describe it is when we lived in Russia, my parents had this old-fashioned bed, those iron beds. Any of you remember those? You know, it's kind of firm over here, firm over here, down the middle, especially with five kids. You know, it was sleeping kind of rough. Had to put some bricks underneath. Now, the Bible says we're to receive the Word of God. And there are two words in the Greek language to receive. One means to grasp. You go and you just take it, reach out and take it. Well, that's not the word that's being used here. You can't just reach out and snatch the Word of God and pull all its truth. You know, sometimes you have people that say, I've studied math, I've studied geometry, all these things. You know, I've studied science, physics, studied history, and I'm just going to go study the Word of God. So they get a Bible, they get dictionaries, lexicons, and so forth, and they study it and say, I'm going to master the Bible. Well, that's not, those resources are great, but that's not the way you approach starting to study God's Word. So you, you may get the words, but I say you may never get the music. You may learn about all the kings in the Bible, but you never will learn about the king of kings because that is self-promoted taking. It's grasping. I'm going to, into the Bible and extract this truth. Many people approach Bible study that way, and they fail. But there's another word that he uses here in verse 21, which means to receive, to welcome, to welcome as you're welcoming somebody into your house, right? You're, when your guest arrives, you say, you're welcome, come on in. And you must learn to welcome this word of God. We must never take our intellect, you know, never going to take our mind, your determination, and get the truth out. You must open your heart and open your mind to welcome the Word. So today I just want to give you the four R's, how I study the Word, how I prepare sermons. And the four R's, the first is you must receive it with a repentant heart. If you look at one, verse 21, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word filthiness here, it's any sort of moral defilement, any impurity. It's related to, I looked up this term, and it related to the word earwax. It's like we have earwax in our ears. Moral filthiness, it refers to which keeps us from hearing. And I always keep this comic that I found, it's, I think it's kind of timeless. It shows a sheep sitting there reading Sheep Digest, has the radio on, has TV on, on the laptop. You see, the Bible there is at the bottom. And it says, I wonder why I can't hear the shepherd anymore. And it seems that God is trying to tell us there's something wrong with us, but we can't hear him because the very thing that's wrong with us is keeping us from hearing him, what he wants to tell us. And folks, remember all the saints in the Bible responded uh, to the true knowledge of their own hearts? Let's look at what some of them said in Isaiah. I'm sure you guys know all this, Isaiah 6, 5. When he was in the presence of God, this is a prophet. He says, woe is me for I'm done because I'm a man with unclean lips. Peter in Luke 5, 8 fell on, down on Jesus' knees, says, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. 
Job, who was the most righteous man at his time, said, therefore I abhorred myself and repent in dust and ashes in Job 42.6. Colossians, Paul writes and says, but now you yourselves are put off all these things. What things? Anger. This is the filthiness. Wrath, malice, blasphemy, foul language, filthy language, out of your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of whom he created. And the writer of Hebrews says in 12.1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, first two verses. It says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And then again, Paul writes to Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 22 and 20 through 24, says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, sometimes I'm asked, why do I use so much scripture in my sermons? Because I feel that the Bible is more important than anything I have to say. And then what I want you to see is the unity of the Bible. We have different authors, different time frames. And do you see how they're all saying kind of the same thing? Lay aside those things. And that's what he says in James 1.21. Lay aside all this filthiness, overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. We need to lay aside all which remains. And the only way we're going to do that, if we're being honest with ourselves, right? But sometimes pride gets in our way. Because when we get saved, we still have this leftover sin in our flesh. It's what I call would be the best description is hangover sin, which is left. Wickedness may reside in the heart for a long time before being expressed outwardly, right? We have a good example of that. Judas. As a matter of fact, it may never be expressed outwardly. So this includes all these hidden sins that we have that nobody may know, but God knows. You know, bad habits, unclean thoughts, fleshly desires, passions. All those things didn't jump off the train when we got saved. There's work to be done before we arrive at God's destination. Sanctification. Every Christian life needs work. And spiritual growth means this progressive sanctification. So we must, when we approach God's word, do it with a repentant heart. And Jeremiah urged to pull out the weeds. He says in Jeremiah 4, 3, says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. So, folks, it's foolish to try to receive or try to study the word of God with an unrepentant heart without getting on your knees and saying like David said, examine me, is there anything wicked in me? Show me, God. But yet people are saved, they're born again, they received the Lord Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven, 
But yet there's that hangover sin which prevents them in growing. And the example of this, I guess, is we could use Lazarus. We know all the story of Lazarus in John eleven forty three. 43. Jesus said to him, now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And we know the Lazarus came out looking like a dummy, you know, like a mummy. He wrapped up in that old grave's clothes, looking like a cocoon and so forth. But then Jesus says something else in verse 44. He says, he died, came out, bound, hanging in foot, grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. That's what we need to do. We need to let go of that wickedness. He has life, certain clothes were still, that death clothes still hanging on to him. And remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, in uh, verses 18 through 22, when he came to his senses? He says, I will go, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still great far way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. He came with the filthy clothes, that old life, and he had to lay them down. He came to the Father, but he still had some hangover sin. And if we want the Bible to speak to us, if we want the Bible to be alive to us, and if we want to receive the truth, the benefits of the Word, first thing we need to do as we come to our study or opening the Word of God is what James says in verse 21, lay aside all filthiness. You know, there's a little poem that said, who is not so loud? And then says, just a lonely old sin. Slip through, I answered, and soon all hell was in. And you heard me say before, you give a devil an inch, he'll become the ruler. And that's not a dad joke. But if we want the word of God to burst a flame in our hands, in our lives, and as fathers and as parents, when we read this book, we have to do it with repentance. Sometimes we approach it and say, well, I've been good this week. There's nothing to repent of. Well, ask God to open up those things, which you need to work on. So not only a repentive heart, but a receptive heart. You see that? He says, again in verse 21, receive, but then he says, with meekness. What's meekness? It means we need to have a teachable spirit. If you're to receive the Word of God, the truth, you have to accept it. You do not argue with it, and you honor it as the Word of God. You do not try to twist it to confirm to your own thinking. And a lot of folks don't understand the Word of God because when the God Word says something, they say, well, you know, everybody's trying to be a theologian these days. I agree with A, B, C, but, you know, this D thing. And they try to justify it. 
You know, one of the saddest things that I've seen is I was watching online the, uh, the SBC convention. It's the Southern Baptist Convention, and they got the new president. And unfortunately, he was being asked some questions which were in any pastor's eyes. If you're a pastor, you should know these things. They were asking him about, you know, everybody knows it's a sin, but they wanted to ask him where he stood on certain issues the LBGTQ and things like that and so forth. And the answer he gave is, well, let's sit down and talk about it and see what the Word of God says. Well, folks, <laughs> those are not great areas. When God's Word says something, you can't argue with it. Sometimes I come across things that, believe it or not, I don't agree with, right, or I don't want to agree with, but you know what I do? I change my opinion. I change my opinion. Because that's the Word of God, like it or not. And don't apologize for it. And Jesus said in John 7, 17, if anyone wills to do his will, we all want to do his will, right? But then it says, he shall know concerning the doctrine. And sometimes the word doctrine scares people. No, it's just how you interpret the Bible, how we understand the Bible. That's all the word doctrine means. You don't have to be a theologian. And sometimes I hear people, I don't want doctrine, I don't want this, all I want is Jesus. Well, if all you want is Jesus, that's doctrine. And some people are stubborn the reason they don't receive it. Because they don't let it convict them. You know, it reminds me of a man who says, I'm open to conviction as long as you find somebody that's able to convict me. They're just stubborn. So we need to have a repentant heart. We need to have a receptive heart. And then we need to have a responsive heart. I think that's one of the hardest things to do as well. God isn't asking anything of you, let me make that clear, unless you're his child. But those who are his children, God says in verse 22 of James, you receive it with repentance. You have a teachable spirit. And then in verse 22 he says, but be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. So when you start studying the word of God and you say, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that, you're really just deceiving yourself. You're not deceiving anybody else. And folks, gospel is not, you know, not given to us just to sit here in church, admire it, talk about it, but to be practiced. God says if you respond to what he shows, shows us, we're going to be blessed. And if we don't respond to what he's showing us, you're going to be self-deceived. And I think a lot of people in churches today, they come to church and they think they did a God of a wild favor. They just came here and sat and listened to a sermon and so forth. But folks, if you do not obey and respond to what you hear, you fail to be a doer of the word. And do you know what Jesus says about those people? Matthew 7, 26 says, but everyone who hears these things of mine, and what, writes them down, puts them in a pocket, agrees with me, or gives me a pat in the back because I did a good speech or something? No, he says, who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And a lot of fathers today are building their houses on the sand. And Luke 24, 25 says the same thing. O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that prophets have spoken. 
So what about a person who comes to church and says, wasn't the music wonderful? Wasn't the sermon wonderful? Fine sermon. And they go, you know, raving. You know what sometimes is wrong with Christianity? I call these people sermon tasters. They have lots of good sermons. They listen to good pastors. They write things down. They study it, and I would agree with them, but they never put it into practice. And don't just look out there in the congregation. They never fail to look past the pulpit. People in the pulpit, they can preach good and so forth, but how do they practice it? Someone expressed in another poem like this, it's easier to preach than to practice. It's easier to say than to do. Most sermons are heard by many, but taken to heart by few. It's kind of like some hobby that people do. You know, and I get a text message or through a Facebook message, listen to this sermon, it's so good. Listen to that, it's so good. It is. But are you practicing it? It's not enough for us to go away or raving and bragging about the sermon or somebody does this great sermon about current events and they're like, this is exactly what's happening. Well, I agree, but if you study the word yourself, you'll see that as well. And let me give you a test whenever you're receiving the word of God. Ready to take the test? It's real easy. All our Bible study efforts that we put into, how we go to church, what are we doing with the sermons? Is your Bible study or is sermon listening making you more like the Jesus Christ? That's a real easy test. Are you becoming, is your knowledge of Christ about God, are you becoming more like him? Sometimes we're just sponging up all the information but never put it into practice. Anybody ever go on a vacation? You know, you have a, before you go, you kind of clean up the house, you clean up the kitchen. I did this a couple of times, and you have a sponge, right? You wipe off all the stuff, you pour out the teas and so forth before you go, and you leave the sponge there, and then you come back. A week later, you open the door and you go, whoa, what's that? That pun, that sponge is... Stinks, right? Why? Because it hasn't been put to work. Nobody squeezed it out. And sometimes that's what Christians are. We observe, absorb all this information, all these sermons and so forth, but what good is it if you don't put it to work? What good is it? And this is not on the PowerPoint, but you can write down Luke eleven twenty eight. This is Jesus saying, he says, blessed are these who hear the word of God and keep it. Well, what's keep it means? Do it. So we talked about obedience last Sunday, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point. And the last thing I want to talk about is the reflective heart. In verses 23 to 25, it says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observed himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one, this one will be blessed in what he does. So it's interesting here that he's using the analogy, the Bible, the Word of God, is like a mirror. And as you read and study the Scripture, there was different descriptions of the Word of God. We saw that, you know, it's referring to a Bible is like 
the hammer in Jeremiah. David called it, you know, like a lamp. And Hebrews talks about it, and, you know, it's the sword that's able to divide and so forth. And Jesus said it's like a seed. But here James is saying it's like a mirror. And do you know why the Bible is not a very popular book today? People don't like the Word of God. Tell you to take it with a grain of salt because it's like a mirror. It shows you who you really are. It's a very interesting thing. You, you look at the Word of God and you see a reflection of yourself. You see yourself as you really are. Mirrors don't lie. Sometimes we can get a better picture, right, than we can get of a, by looking in a, in a mirror. Photographers have a saying, I shared it before, there's beauty, we take it, and there's none, we make it. You know, that new Instagram life where everybody's looking so beautiful and so forth, but then you see them in real life, you're like, what? Said you look like Janet Jackson, you look like Jesse Jackson. But mirrors don't lie. And sometimes he says we do this casual glance. In verses 23, 24, it says, For if anyone he's a hearer of the word, not a doer, is like a man observing his natural face, he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So the idea here, he just kind of looks at himself. You know, he's putting on his coat, jacket, and so forth, fixes his tie, brushes his hair. Doesn't really take an honest look. And that's what a lot of Bible study for us is. You know, sometimes people cover like 25 verses in 10 minutes. Like, you know how much more there's in it? Maybe as an introduction, that's fine, but you can just study one verse for a while. But they do this lucky dip. They kind of take a glance on it and so forth. You ever looked at your watch and you're kind of, oh, what time is it? And then like two seconds later, you forget. Again, you're looking at your watch. Some of you are looking like, hey, I got to go eat Father's, Father's Day lunch. Saw you. Some of you looking at your watch. That's the way people approach Bible study, due to casual look. They hear the word, but then they have intent to put a practice. You know, they sit in church when we talk about volunteering or doing witnessing or anything like that. They say, amen, yes, but when time comes, they're never to be found. Now, God is not going to be revealing much to us if we take casual glances in the word of God. You know, sometimes when I study for a sermon and so forth, I don't just sit there and line it all out. I get ideas, I put it down, then, you know, I go do other things, and I'm still processing and pondering on just the verse that I just studied. And sometimes, you know, like last Saturday, we were cleaning the house, and then all of a sudden I disappeared. I was like, where do we go? Or I'm in the office because while I was cleaning, I was processing and got a good illustration. So that's how we're supposed to do it. Get in there. Don't have a casual glance. Don't just read a chapter a day and not get anything out of it. Read a few verses and study them. What are they saying? You know, and there's this careful 
great gaze into the word, and that's what he's talking about in verse 25. Who looks into the perfect law or liberty, this one is, will be the blessed one in everything he does. But we have a problem when we study the word of God. There's a old couple living in the mountains and never, never had any visitors, and all of a sudden there was a tour bus that went up that way, and somebody left a mirror behind. And these mountain people, he found the mirror. He'd never seen a mirror. And he's looking at it and say, that's my, that's my pappy. Look at that. I didn't know pappy had a picture taken. And he's looking at a mirror, thinking it's a picture of his dad. So he takes it, goes home and runs into the attic and hides it up in the attic. And his wife sees him doing something suspicious. So she waits till he leaves and he leaves and she goes up in the attic. And she sees the mirror. And she takes it and looks at it and says, oh, that's the old hag he'd been running around with. See, the problem is, when we look in the mirror in the Word of God, we don't see ourselves. We always try to see it, oh, it's for somebody else. It's easy to read the Word of God to think that this picture is somebody else. Mm-hmm. This is about them. Mm-hmm. When really, it's talking about you. And the, one, the reason I think a lot of us don't want to spend time more in Bible study. First, we say it's boring and all that stuff. But the re- main reason, because when we read the Bible, the, the mirror's right there. If we're his children, the Holy Spirit starts convicting us, and we don't, want, we don't like that, right? Read the Bible, and we say, eh, but the Bible says, oh, there you are. There you are. The Word of God is a mirror. It reveals our shortcomings. Reveals that we really need to be needing a savior, not pointing to somebody else. And folks, you need to remember, though we worship corporately, each one of us is going to be given an account individually. So how are we studying or approaching Bible church, uh, Bible study as a church? Fathers, is, do you have Bible study at your house? See, if it's not important there, again, what's happening here is really a reflection of what would be happening in your house because we're all one church. And I want us to be a Bible-studying church. Some, some of you don't come to Bible studies because you might not find it interesting. But some of us don't come because we don't study it at home. We don't study it here. We just feed on the sermon itself, and that's good enough for us. But not only it shows us shortcomings, but it tells us how to improve. You know, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. That's how we can cleanse ourselves. Taking heed according to your word. In John 15.3, it says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So if we're to use God's mirror profitably, we must gaze into it carefully with serious intent as it's going to instruct us. No quick glances will do. And we must examine our own hearts, not somebody else's, in the light of God's word. This requires time, attention, devotion. And folks, five minutes a day will not accomplish this. But not only the word of God examines us and shows us who we are, again, and reveals our sins, but it helps us, cleanses us. If you're doing things you're wrong and you don't know, but now the Word of God tells you you're doing something wrong or sinful, wouldn't you want to get rid of it? 
And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins because to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we meditate on God's word, he cleans up all that defilement, wickedness that's left in us. And really, the purpose of a mirror, there's two purposes, is examination, right? We get there, we look at ourselves. Restoration, we fix what's wrong with us, right? When somebody, we would get ready, where adjustments needs to be made. But the Bible has a third thing that it does when you use it as a mirror. It transforms you. Not only examines you, not only tells you where you need to fix but it transforms you. So not only you can be restored, but through this proper study of God's word, you get to transformed, and that's when you become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know the story of David when Nathan came to him, right? He used God's word as a mirror. He came with a story, and he held up a mirror, the word of God to David, and said, you know, he had the sheep and so forth. And, and then David became angry and he said, you're the man. So what happened? There was a confession. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And there was that transformation where he never commits the same sin over and over again. And too many Christians confess their sins, claim forgiveness, but again, they never grow spiritually to conquer that sin. We continue to stumble over that sin over and over. But in Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding is a mirror of glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So when we spend time looking into the Word, seeing Christ, we're going to be transformed glory to glory. And God's blessings, folks, always a result of our obedience. And Joshua, the son of Nun, <laughs> the Lord commanded him this in Joshua 1.8, to be a successful leader. It says, this book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it day and night. It's not mean you carry it around, but just like the example I said, you read and you meditate on that scripture throughout the day. And to have a spiritual, blessed, and prosperous life, to be faithful in study, we have to meditate it on a day and night, and we have to put it into practice. And the hear and word, when you study the scriptures, when you study it and you're faithful, and sometimes I get, well, it's just too hard. Well, you heard me say it before, behind any command that God gives us to be obedient in, he's the one that provides strength to carry out that command. Now, if somebody else is going to give you strength to do anything, wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be easy? Well, that's why he says in Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we concentrate and study, meditate it, and you're with him, you're abiding in him, it'll be easy for you to grow spiritually. And you know, these things are so kind of simple, but doesn't mean that they're profound. So sometimes I think, you know, we need to get this 
wax out of our ears so we can start growing spiritually, sharing the word with others. Receive the word with meekness, meaning saying, hey, God, I am having issues with this. I don't know how to handle it. You know, it's, it's unfortunately culture is impacting a lot of churches these days. But we need to remain strong and say, God, how do we approach these issues or handle Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Doesn't mean we use the Bible as a club. But we stayed the course because that's what the Word of God says. I love you and so forth. I would love to agree with you, but I can't because this is my authority. This is the authority we're to live by. And this is what the Holy God says. So fathers, how is your Bible study? How are we showing our study or helping our kids grow spiritually? You know, sometimes I talk to older parents and they say, well, my kids are all grown up. You know, they're in high school now. They don't listen to me. How do I approach that? Well, be honest with you kids. Say, I didn't do this right. But starting today, this is the way it's going to be in our house. Because you know who deserves perfect parents? Perfect kids. And there isn't perfect kids. So it's okay. But you need to start. Because fathers, you are the leaders of your homes. And we talk about that. That's your responsibility. You can't escape it. But then again, this also applies to all of us as a church. How are we studying the Word of God? Not just on Sundays, but every day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you seal this Word in our hearts this morning. And Father, help me and practice what I preach here today and teach us, Lord, as individuals and as a congregation to receive this Word with meekness, this implanted Word, which is able to deliver our souls. And I would pray for all here, especially who are fathers, that they might be faithful to your Word and teach what... We should be teaching to our children, set an example what a godly father should be in our households, and that way might be instruments of your grace and bring out the godly seed in the next generation. And as we leave this place this morning, Father, I ask that you be with us all, and I ask that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray, amen.